0: If I told you half the things I've heard about this Jabba the Hutt,
1: you'd probably Then wait.
2: Hello, Blaba fans, and you are very welcome to episode twenty-four of Blaba the Hutt. The
0: illustrious Jabba bids you welcome and will gladly pay you the reward of twenty-five
3: thousand. So the only thing that you can tell me is that I will find Jabba at
4: Palace.
2: I'm Kate, and I'm joined by host Gary. How's it going, Gary?
1: Hello, Kate. How are you?
2: Doing all right. So this is our big Dublin Comic-Con episode.
1: Yeah, we finally had a convention in Ireland after so many years of... uh things being on the back burner we finally had dublin comic-con we got our dcc spring edition
2: very nice it seems you know things are semi getting back to normal so that's a good sign
1: (laughs) yeah very much so but um yeah it, it was lovely to be back and i have to say the the team behind dcc did such an amazing job like the the convention really went well which bodes well for our summer edition which will be um you know later on in the in the year but a a thoroughly enjoyable experience and it was just nice to see so many people back on the con scene
2: yeah definitely so what what are your overall impressions of dcc spring edition was it was there kind of like a different vibe you know pandemic wise
1: I think it was it was more a feeling of excitement than anything else and we were lucky enough to talk to two very very important people at Dublin Comic Con behind the scenes of which we'll get to the interviews in a while but yeah it it was just a, a buzz and excitement and an atmosphere and this spring edition was great because there was such a wide variety of guests
2: awesome
1: that there was there was a little bit of everything for everyone Um. The way it was set up was a little bit different this time, so that seemed to work very, very well. But I believe for the the two days it was either sold out or just about at capacity, wow. which which is fantastic. But yes, so many uh, different guests, which which was wonderful. We had everything from um, Pinky and the Brain themselves, Marisa Marsh and Rob Paulson, <laughs> to Ron Perlman and. Um, Magnus brune we also had uh, Kevin McNally there, who was Joshamy Gibbs, any Pirates of the Caribbean fans will be very, very familiar with, so there was a real wow. eclectic mix of of guests, and it was it really was fantastic to see, and it genuinely went down a treat, I think the the folks behind DCC should be absolutely delighted
2: That's amazing So, before we get on to the interviews, um, what was the scene like, Star Wars wise? Like, did you see a lot of Star Wars cosplay were people just like in general excited for Star Wars
1: they were very much so um we we had our our good friends from the Emerald Garrison and from the the 501st Legion there as well um in terms of Star Wars content there was obviously ourselves with Blab Alive and we had a a little bit of a, a surprise in store for for all of the guests there which which was lovely which people will get to to hear about later on but um a lot of the vendors in Artist Alley had a lot of uh, Star Wars um, merchandise as well. So a lot of three D printed stuff. There was a lot of Star Wars art. Um, we posted a picture of uh, Kieran Duffy's Mandalorian piece, which was amazing, and I believe he did sell out of it. So uh, nice, well done, Kieran, on that one. But yeah, it was just nice to see Artist Alley back in full swing and there was a lot of star wars products there so it it was it was great to see and um it was it was just nice to be back to that form of normality i mean when you're away from the con scene for so long when the cons are such yeah. a big part of, of your routine it's it's difficult to kind of put it into words how it was but it was just great to be back and yeah lots of star wars merch there as well
2: very cool i know i had my first con over on on this side of the pond uh mm-hmm. wasn't like a it was a steampunk con so it was a little different but still that same kind of excitement that goes down like when you're at a con and people just being so glad you know to be doing something <laughs> outside of your house
4: again
1: <laughs> oh yeah absolutely but i mean i suppose that you're lucky in the states obviously being in such a big country that there are multiple cons going on in right. different states throughout the year whereas in ireland we're, we're sort of not that looking right there. yeah that's so true there's a couple of big cons here and there obviously dcc being the the big kahuna of the lot but um it, yes. it's nice for you as well to to get back to to that side of normality too
2: yes trying to plot out a course now you know since everything seems to be opening up more so stay tuned blah fans <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, well we do have some interesting episodes coming up on the horizon as well, so that be uh, that'll be that'll be exciting too. For sure.
2: All righty. So anything else you want to add about DCC or cons or anything in general?
1: Um the anybody anybody who didn't go to the spring edition because they might have been a little bit nervous or anything like that. I think Mm -hmm. they would be crazy not to come to the one in august the team behind dcc did such an amazing job it was so well run from an outsider's point of view it it seemed to run quite smoothly and obviously we'll get a little more insight in that with the the two uh wonderful ladies who are coming up who were kind enough to give us their time to, to do a little bit of an interview with us but um i don't think anybody should have any worry and i think dc august dcc is uh, going to be a fantastic event i know the planning has already begun I, in fact i believe it already began sort of before the spring edition kicked in so there's there's definitely going to be lots on the horizon for that for sure
2: well that's a nice segue then into some of these interviews you're, you were speaking of so should we should we get on to some of these awesome interviews
1: yeah absolutely so first up we're going to hear from someone who is a very, very important person at Dublin Comic-Con, and you'll usually see her running here, there, and everywhere. You usually just get a, a high and a bye when she when she's that busy. But uh, the <laughs> first person we're going to speak to is uh, Geek Ireland's very own uh, Olivia Fahey, who was the, the DCC PR manager.
2: Awesome. All right, let's roll that.
1: So, Olivia, uh, welcome to the show, and thank you for taking the time out to talk to us. I know it's been a, quite a busy and eventful few weeks for you, so first of all, how are you feeling?
4: Not too bad, not too bad. It's, it's been nice to have a little bit of a break afterwards as well because it was quite hectic um, for Comic-Con weekend. So it was nice to actually just go to bed and sleep for a bit.
1: I can imagine it was. Um, so like you've said, we've had a little bit of time pass. So now that the dust has settled, how was DCC Spring Edition for you, both as a fan and obviously as someone who's a vital cog behind the scenes? Do you
4: know what? It was so much better than even i expected like we always put our our best foot forward but with this one because up until the end of january we didn't even know if we were still actually going to be able to go ahead to the extent that we wanted to Mm -hmm. um up until the point where they just announced it that weekend to be like everything's open all indoor events can have full capacity and all that so we essentially put most of this together only since the end of january Um, which You know, like considering we usually have such a a longer lead in time, um, (laughs) this was really cutting it fine. And do you know what? It it was one of those things of on the Saturday, we were all kind of sitting there going, "Okay, how do we do this again? But by the time Sunday rolled around, we were back in it like straight away. So from a behind the scenes point of view, it's like, yeah, okay, there was a few like small hiccups, nothing major that it would have affected anybody um, attending kind of thing. But behind the scenes, we we're kind of just like, oh, OK, we need to remember how to do this. Um, but by Sunday came around, we were flying again. So it was great just to see how quick and easy we were able to fall back into our old routines. And everybody there just seemed to just be having so much fun, which is exactly what we wanted. And we wanted to have fun as well. So it was just lovely being all back together.
1: It was it was a fantastic con. And we had been speaking previously on a couple of episodes of all the the challenges and things going on with so many changes and updates to the, the rules and regulations around COVID. So for sort of our our listeners abroad, our, our Irish listeners would obviously be familiar with this. Could you give a little bit of a, an insight into what were the challenges of setting up and preparing for the first convention post-pandemic? Because the one thing that I was sort of had at, at the forefront of my mind was that this had to be a situation where you guys had to be more reactive than anything else.
4: Oh, 100%. Because everything was changing so quickly, we didn't know what way things were going to be come March. So as much as we were hoping that it was all going to be able to go ahead as planned, um, there was that uh, that case of doubt. So for anybody who wasn't familiar, by the time Christmas and January came around, we were still in something of a lockdown, maybe not to the same extent. It's, it's now just so long ago, I can't even remember what it was like at Christmas and January but essentially everyone was still wearing masks uh, you still need your vaccine pass to get indoors for dining and uh, into the pubs and things like that and so we were basically planning for needing to check all everybody's uh, vaccine passes we were preparing for everyone having to still be wearing masks yada 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 and um, so then when the announcement came in that you didn't need any of that we were like oh okay so what we've been doing was whenever people were asking what were what were our rules going to be we just kept saying it's like whatever the government says our rules are going to be that's what our rules are going to be because at the end of the day we, we could we couldn't go against what the the actual like rules and regulations were going to be mm-hmm. so we were as much in the dark as everybody else was so as much as we were sort of getting fed some information here and there it was the same information that everyone was getting fed so up until January, there was still talk of there being maybe like a 50% capacity on indoor events. Um, there was going to be a uh, mask wearing up until like way after Paddy's Day and all this type of stuff. And then suddenly that announcement went out, I think it was like the second last weekend of January, where they just went. The only thing that's saying is mask wearing and then the mask wearing is going to go by the end of February. So we just went, what? (laughs) (laughs) And essentially, like I was already preparing like a postponement announcement because if it was 50 percent capacity until after Paddy's Day, essentially, we would not have been able to go ahead because with covering the costs of having the guests coming over and all of our other expenses like renting out the convention center only for 50 percent capacity we would not have been able to cover any of those costs so we would have had to postpone again so luckily that didn't happen and we were able to go ahead and it was bloody awesome
1: it most certainly was and with the the sort of um line that you've gone down there does this beg the question then is this the most important comic con that there has ever been be obviously being the first one post-pandemic is an enormous uh, task to undertake but with so many different rules and regulations and so many processes and procedures yourself and the team had to follow to get this set up is this the most important dublin comic-con that there has ever been
4: that is a very good question i would i haven't thought of it as being like so important mainly because we were so in the throes of just wanting to get back up and running so like from yeah. a a personal point of view like it was important for us just to be like yes we can we, we can still do this essentially um so yeah i suppose you you could essentially say that like because with the the convention that we end up having to postpone march 2020 that actually was the most heartbreaking day we've ever experienced like none of us were in good moods we were all absolutely devastated because it was shaping up to be our biggest event and i don't know if you remember but we were going to get the premiere of the mandalorian as well so that's how big it was it's like that disney were wanting to uh premiere their biggest show that's now on the platform but at the time it was only launching um so like that was that was how much we built it up and then it went from that to nothing so I suppose, yeah, like it was to make sure that not only our fans knew, but also the, the businesses who wanted to premiere things like that with us. And just to show that's like, hey, we're back up and running. And like, this is how this is what we can do in two months. So <laughs> look, guess what we can do in six months? Um, I think is it was definitely an important one to get up and running and for it to go as smoothly as it did is definitely a blessing.
1: Well, all credit goes to yourself and the team behind the scenes. I mean, the, the work you all did was sensational and the con itself was fantastic. It was a great experience. Um, we, we had great reaction at Blab Alive as we were able to, to pull off a little surprise of our own. But you sneakily were involved in, in quite a, a big surprise announcement. So <laughs> for which you got a selfie for, which I'm delighted for. So how did that end up coming about? And obviously that must have been in the planning for quite a, a long time.
4: Yeah, so basically, Barry and I were supposed to have an interview before Eternals came out. And unfortunately, it wasn't able to go ahead as planned. So when I did eventually actually get to chat to him, um, I just mentioned during the conversation about how, like, oh, it'd be great if, uh, because he was talking about how much he loves coming home and meeting um, Irish fans. So I said, I was like, well, you know, we've got a Comic-Con here. And he was like, oh, geez." So we started chatting about the con, and then it turned out that he was going to be in Dublin that weekend may not have had the time to actually do the full convention, but he was just like, can can I, can I come? And we were like, yeah, (laughs) of course you can come. So it was just, it took us actually quite a while just to, to nail down like what his, um, his other commitments were over the weekend and also the timings of it all. So like what was going to work for us awesome, and what was going to work for him and all that. So yeah, the fact that we managed to pull it off and have Barry Keoghan who is arguably one of the biggest stars in the world right now, especially considering his, um his Batman.
0: Scene.
4: Yeah. Especially since that's just been released now. Um, it was definitely quite the, uh, quite the pat on the back for us, I think as well. And it was lovely to have him there just to, to, meet some of his Irish fans but also just have have, have the chats because he's such a lovely lovely lad so it was it was actually just one of the most chilled out conversations we just sat there just being like how are you mate?
1: <laughs> he is he's incredibly like, but again like the the sort of things you've mentioned in, in the last five minutes again it goes back to what Dublin Comic Con has become, become and it's an absolute credit to yourself and all the guys behind the scenes. We've mentioned Barry. We've also mentioned that Disney were interested in giving us the premiere of The Mandalorian and Giancarlo Esposito was also to be a guest at Dublin Comic Con um, as well. And then yeah. this year at the Blab Live panel, we were lucky enough to have uh, author Mike Chen who is writing the new Anakin and Obi-Wan book come and give a little message and a shout out to the fans at Dublin comic-con for which he's also recorded an interview with ourselves. I mean, for a comic, for a comic con in such a little country like ours, they're all phenomenal achievements. Everybody must be, must be very proud and delighted that it just seems to continue to grow.
4: Yeah. Like it's, it's one of those things that when you look back at now, this was before I actually got involved with the team, but like it started off in the swords um, convention center Mm -hmm. and for it to now be in the massive, big Dublin Convention Centre, which holds like ten thousand people, it is quite, quite the achievement that we can fill that. And because it is still so niche, but one thing that I've definitely noticed is that is a a change in the attendees over the years. Because even since, so I think I've been with them now about six years. Um, but even in that short space of time, you can definitely see how it Comic Cons have become a, a fun family day out. It's not just for those who are the niche fans it's not just for the 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 geeks shall we say it, it's definitely a more mainstream thing nowadays which mm-hmm. on one hand is great and on the other hand it's, uh, all the the diehard fans are just like no this was our thing we we've, we were he- we were here before it was cool you know <laughs> so it's um it's definitely it's great that we could still sort of get that balance to try and keep like most people happy i won't say everyone happy because there's always going to be people who are just like uh, have you any other guests coming like who else is coming i don't know any of these people and you're just like ah now come on <laughs> like you have to know at <laughs> one of them but uh but yeah you can't please everyone and once we kind of like got that into our heads it's like great and then we just sort of go go off with our plan and just sort of see who's available from our list of preferences and just sort of work from there and it's great that most of the guests that we have had come over go back and they praise us so then it makes it easier for the agents to then pitch us to some of their other clients who are then like oh yeah so-and-so said that this was great crack so why don't you go as well they're like sure so it definitely helps
1: <laughs> oh 100 and that begs the question then i'm assuming that planning for the next dcc has already started and it's well underway
4: yeah, like we had a few preliminary uh, chats actually just before Spring Edition started. So there was a few things that we were like, okay, this is the direction that we're going to go in, and then sort of see what happens. Uh, one thing that I've learned is that once we decide on a direction, it changes about four or five times over mm-hmm. the course of the couple of months. So, um, but at least we we have a starting point, so we know kind of where we're going, what we're going to do, and you know a few people that we're going to reach out to. So it should be, I think, if if we get the the full list of who we have at the moment I think it's going to be a very good con I'm very excited
1: I'm very excited as well for the simple reason from purely from a selfish Star Wars perspective that the release of Kenobi and some of the upcoming literature releases is going to give us a a heck of a lot to talk about and now that's sort of the the dust has settled and things seem to be returning to some form of normality. I think there's going to be a lot of big breaking news in, in the Star Wars realm that's going to um to, to push us forward. So I think everybody is going to be looking forward to it, not just from a, a Star Wars point of view, but, you know, moving forward, what guests are there. And the, the buzz in Artist Alley this year in particular, Olivia, I thought was fantastic.
4: I absolutely loved the new layout, I have to say. It just made... <laughs> it just made more sense you know the kind mm-hmm. of a way like and it just gave because Artist Alley is one of the areas that just gets so ch- chock-a-block year after year so then having it a bit more spaced out just meant that there was more space for people to then come in so it was still chock-a-block but it wasn't as crammed in and claustrophobic as it used to be so I for one was like well on board with uh, with that new layout and it was just so lovely to see everybody and I very nearly spent far too much money, <laughs> but <laughs> luckily I didn't. I didn't have that much cash on me, so that was what was limiting me there. But yeah, just to see like how excited everybody was to be back, and because at, at these things like you often only see people at the con, you wouldn't see them outside of it. So for for those that were there, and especially in Artist Alley, it is like its own little community. So it was great to see everybody being like, "Oh hey, it's you! Oh wow, look at all that you've been doing since the last time we saw each other and all that." So yeah, that was really cool. I really enjoyed it.
1: You've actually brought up a great point there. I think it's it's the social aspects that, that people were missing in the sense that we have so many, whether it's friends, colleagues, fellow, fellow cosplayers, but a lot of them, because of, you know, how life works, we literally only get to see them at the events and conventions throughout the year. So the Comic-Con, I think, acts as this safe bubble where everyone can congregate and catch up and just generally shoot the breeze. And I think that's that's been so important for for the return to normality as well.
4: For sure. And one of the things that um, actually got the guys um, involved in creating Dublin Comic Con in the first place was because they used to meet up at other conventions abroad and there wasn't one in Ireland at the time. So they decided to set one up themselves to bring a space to people who wanted to be able to enjoy these types of events on the basis of everything that we do this is this is a convention by fans for fans we're all volunteers we're we're not like this big corporation that are doing this just to make money it's like this is all kind of done in our spare time and outside of our day jobs sort of thing so it is it's a passion project it's a love of the community and like it being a community-based thing has always been the forefront of of what we do with it so yeah like it's so it was actually just lovely to to see everyone again because there there's some people on the team that I haven't seen since before since before the first lockdown and things like that as well so from a seeing for people attending the con it was great for them to reconnect as well but it was also great for our team to reconnect because up until that point we actually had not seen each other for two years either
1: and that purely sums it up that it was just it was just a, a wave of positivity and a change from what became our new norm having been you know effectively in a, a two year plus lockdown um also olivia congratulations on the uh, the oscar isaac interview for
4: moonlight <laughs> thank you very much i was quite um sleepy it it, the interview took place on the friday morning after paddy's day so i had to make sure i behaved myself yes (laughs) but um, it was yeah i'm not gonna lie i swooned himself and um his co-star may i'm gonna butcher her the pronunciation of her surname Kalamaui, I think it is Mm -hmm. um she plays Layla, and basically the two of them they were just so lovely and I was swooning over the two of them um it was a a lovely it was a round table style interview that we had and um everybody else in the group were actually gas crack as well so in the waiting room like the virtual waiting room beforehand it was uh it was nice to be able to like chat to other people and because they were all in different countries so we were able to um compare and contrast how what everything was like in the world which was also also pretty cool and nerd out so but yeah no oscar isaac and may they were they were both really really lovely and um yeah i'm excited for the the series to come out now It i've seen the first four episodes so i can't Mm -hmm. say anything yet but uh yeah the reviews will be coming soon on geek Ireland.
1: And and you've uh, you 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 must have read my mind there. You just brought me on to my last question was um, with respect to the the social media side of things for Dublin Comic Con, but also of course you are a member of um, Geek Ireland. Where can people keep up with the the latest news, gossip, and all of your escapades?
4: So uh, for Dublin Comic Con, we have our lovely website at www.dublincomiccon.com, and all of our social media is also at uh, Dublin Comic Con on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. So we tend to do a lot of our announcements through uh, our social pages and then it goes up onto the website afterwards. And uh, of course, like Geek Ireland are media partners with Dublin Comic Con for the rest of the year. So if you want to catch up on anything geek related, be it film, TV, comic books, tech, science, you name it we have it so that's geek and we're geek Ireland, um on twitter instagram and facebook as well so yeah
1: olivia this has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and again i think it's safe to say on behalf of anybody who went to the convention and um, thank you so much to you and the team for putting a great event together and here's to the here's to the summer edition
4: thanks very much I, i'm very excited can't wait to start um, making some announcements
1: So next up then, Kate, we have someone who is incredibly important to DCC, as she has done everything from being the events supervisor to coordinating the media to guest relations to anything under that umbrella. Uh, Delighted to say that we were able to sit down to have a little chat with Naomi Butler. So, first of all, Naomi, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us despite you being incredibly busy. Um, First of all, never never mind the conference. How are you? Has the con lag uh, gone away yet? Or are you still a little bit uh getting there?
5: No, I'm furious. I was incredibly lucky, actually. I had the Monday off so after the con, which was grand. And then it was straight back into the day job. Um, and then I had the joys of getting COVID, managed to avoid it for two and a half years and then. Got the wonderful thing that only lasted for three days. So now I'm back in the full swing of the day job now.
1: That's fantastic to hear. And um, first of all, we have to say, and as I was saying to Olivia, a massive congratulations to you and the team and everyone involved, because what you put together was sensational being the first con back after a a pandemic which we'll talk a little bit more about but just in terms of you you have done so many things for comic-con you have literally done everything from kind of event supervising to doing the media to guest relations everything under that umbrella so if you have your professional hat on and now that the dust has settled how was comic-con overall
5: overall i'd say I'd give myself about an 80 out of a hundred there, you know. Mm-hmm. There was a solid B, there was there was a few hiccups, there was a few sort of like, oh, am I supposed to do that? Oh, sugar, yes, I am, right. Okay, hang on a minute. <laughs> a bit of a headless chicken moments every now and again. But I think overall, like, you know, for two and a year, two and a half year break and really not being able to organize anything yeah I actually think yeah we we all did quite well I mean the team that pulled together behind us were phenomenal like I can't praise the volunteers enough these shows don't function without volunteers and they were amazing my core group of those like a lot of them have been with me for years phenomenal love them to bits
1: it was. I genuinely have to say the reception was incredibly positive. Everything from sort of how Artist Alley was set up. And then as you moved over to the other side, there was the the guests doing the autographs and the photo shoots, which I think that layout actually worked really well.
5: Yeah, it was a really good layout. It was our first time trying it this year. And I think it worked an awful lot better. It was easier to control. It actually felt more airier, even though like we were busier. It actually felt more open, more relaxed, an awful lot um, easier. I think everyone felt easier to manage, and you could see an awful lot more of what was going on. So yeah, no, definitely think there's be a, a layout we'll be sticking with. All right.
1: And obviously, in that case, if, if it ain't broke, don't. Absolutely, definitely don't. Don't. Yeah. Well, hope you won't be changing it again. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not but then from that perspective then as I mentioned you have done so many things with Comic Con and this is something that I did mention to um Olivia as well who was kind enough to come on and give us a bit of her time as well I don't think people quite realise the amount of challenges that you guys had to go through to put this together because we had all these great plans before COVID hit and in particular from a Star Wars point of view there was some very very important things going to be happening at that con which unfortunately didn't happen but can you talk a little bit about the challenges that you face? Because with so many changes in the government rules and regulations, your sales behind the scenes had to essentially be more reactive than anything else.
5: Yeah, and I think I think this is where actually this is where I, I will say praise the volunteers for because like we were very short staffed volunteer-wise this year. Like normally we'd have, I'd say over 100. I'd normally have about 20, 25 volunteers with me just looking after the guests. And I was down to, I think I had less than 15. I think I had 12 at one stage. So, I mean, that sort of thing was a bit, oh my God. But, you know, they pulled it together. So that was sort of the biggest hurdle was getting the volunteers to actually sort of double and triple job than what they would normally do. Um, but the staff, like the CCD staff as well, they came on board, they'd helped out more than they would normally do. They normally just sort of stand around and point. And whereas this year they were like, Oh yeah, we can see a bottleneck here. We're going to react too, and um, and then like kind of when we were looking at things about masks and antigen tests and should we or shouldn't we, and we were all like, guys, if you want to wear masks, wear your masks. We're not saying otherwise. And like, I wore my mask for the full weekend, and like, we really, all of us that wore masks. No one said anything to us. They were all like, oh yeah, whatever. You know, it actually. I think everyone, even the public. We're very much sort of like, you know what, first big event, first big indoor event in two and a half years hasn't been done. You know, the restrictions have only been up two weeks. So I think even the public got behind this to sort of say, you know what, we're all going to be a bit iffy and a bit, what, what do we do? So everyone, I think, sort of took it as being, everyone be nice. <laughs> and everyone was nice. <laughs>
1: It was, and there was genuinely an incredibly positive atmosphere. That was the one thing that kind of struck me was the, the buzz and the adulation. Everyone seemed to be having such a good time. And you've hit the nail on the head there with a very important point. It was the first con for, like you say, two and a half years. And I asked Olivia this question, and I'd like to ask you it as well. Obviously, you guys always have your mind on, you know, it's all about the next con, the next con that's coming up. <laughs> but in the grand scheme of things, was this the most important Dublin Comic Con that there has ever been?
5: I would say yes, because I think we were not only using it for ourselves as a, can we get this back up and running? Can we get back up to our levels pre-COVID? We were also, I'd say, being looked at by everybody else because we were the first big show after the restrictions eased. So, like, I was talking to friends, they're like, oh, no, but there's been, like, sporting events. And I'm, like, going, yes, there's been sporting events, but they've been outdoor sporting events. There may have been one or two matches around Ireland that were held in um, covered stadiums, but not to the same extent as what we had. So I feel Saturday, everyone was waiting for the reports to come up to sort of see how did we handle it? How were the queues? What was it like inside? Because Sunday, as you know yourself, Sunday at shows, especially cons are generally a lot quieter than a Saturday. And this Sunday, we were busier. And like, I had the guests at their tables right up until closing time. And normally I'd be sort of saying around four o'clock, ah, guys, you know what? You, You can head off. Now I was like, actually, can you stay? Because there's still people coming. So I think we were very much used by everybody. Everyone was looking at us to sort of see how did this go down? And we had no big clusters, which was great. You know, I guess of all of our staff, I know I said I picked up COVID. I know I didn't get it there. I got it at another event. Um, I think about four of us out of the core staff team got COVID, which, I mean, is pretty good going considering there was, what, about 15,000 people there over the weekend.
1: <laughs> yeah. And is it fair to say, Dan, that what we heard kind of throughout the Saturday and Sunday was right, that the Saturday was basically a sellout, and then as we were heading towards the Sunday, it was almost sell sellout as well, maybe tickets at the door, give or take.
5: Yeah, what we did was Saturday was sold out completely. And then Saturday evening, we made the decision to open tickets at the door. And that was a massive influx then. So we had sold out, we fully sold out Saturday. We sold about five, 6,000 for the Sunday. And we opened it up then on the door. And that just created, like, it just didn't stop on Sunday. It was constant flow the whole of Sunday, which we generally would not normally see.
1: And I suppose in a sense, if we're looking at it from a selfish perspective, you, we needed that on the Sunday as well, because obviously if we want to get back to some form of normality, we want to have full numbers going into into the summer con, which most people would see as sort of the, the main con in the country throughout the year, if that's kind of fair to say, that's the, yeah. the big comic con as such, the big DCC.
5: <clears throat> oh yeah. Like, I mean, March was big. I'd say we had 15,000 people between the two days. August, we're over twenty thousand people, yeah. so like we are a big event. Now I know, like the likes the ODS Horse Show, which is another event I did back in the day, that's one hundred and twenty thousand people over five days, but like that's indoor and outdoor. This is a fully indoor event, and even for the CCD, we're one of their biggest events on their calendar as well. So you know, I think for everyone, we were being used as a test subject without our knowing it. Mm-hmm. Um to kind of go, OK, will this work? Won't this
1: work? <laughs> and you have to say that the, the test proved pretty successful.
5: Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I think everyone... Everyone really bought their A game because I think the staff and the volunteers really wanted this to work. CCD wanted it to work. And as I said, the public, I think they also wanted it to work. So they were really nice. I mean, like normally you always get, you know, your one or two narky punters, like when it comes to the job. But I would say everyone was following the mantra of be kind.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
5: there was no major incidents. Everyone was like, yeah, we all want to be here. So let's just do whatever it takes to be here.
1: And I suppose that sort of begs the question then again, it was this overwhelmingly positive atmosphere and that's down to you and all the crew behind the scenes as well and the the general public. But how much of that was down to the guests as well? Because I have to say this year the guest interactions with everyone were absolutely amazing. Like I had a couple of walkthroughs and I I couldn't believe it. Like even there were people, even if they weren't getting an autograph or photo, they were just chatting away to the guests casually if there was a little bit of a lull in the queue. And it seemed that every guest went down an absolute treat. And this year with the guests, there was a bit of something for everyone. There was a great variety of guests.
5: It was the first year, like I've been doing the guests since day one. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is the first year that the guests actually interacted with each other. Like the every all the guests wanted their picture with the brothers. Like they were coming over. I was trying to get the brothers to go for their lunch, and the guests kept running over photographs. And I was like, Look, they're coming back. Would you just let them go get some food? And um, Mag, uh, Magnus, he was an energizer bunny. He was hopping from pillar to post. I couldn't keep track of that guy. And he was going out for dinner. He was meeting up with X, Y, and Z. And like, I actually have a a funny story. Now, I don't know. You can leave this in. You can take it out. But this, to me, was a bit of a quirky thing. We had Paul Bulger there, who's an Irish artist. And he was an over an artist alley. And many, many years ago, he was an artist on a film called Cool Cool World. With a very young Brad Pitt and Gabriel Byrne. And uh, so I bought my copy with it. Of it to be signed by him. And he was very, he was telling me a few stories about it. And that was great. And then Maurice uh, Lamarche saw my copy of it and he was like, Who owns that? And I said, Oh, that's mine. He goes, I was a voice on that. Give it to me here. I'm signing it. (laughs) And he goes, Who's this other signature? And I went, Oh, that's Paul Bulger, an Irish artist who's like in Irish. I have never met one of the artists before. Can you introduce me? And it was like, Wow, you know, I've never had guests wanting to meet other guests so that was actually you know it was really cool it was great to see that like all the guests they all kind of knew each other they were all ready for having a laugh and a joke and they were interacting with each other because some guests can be a bit oh stay away from me this is my little bubble and but no the guests this year I've never had a bunch of guests so interactive I think even they were happy to be back out again amongst sort of the crowds. Uh,
1: Every guest seemed like that. And I, I have to say thanks to Dublin Comic-Con because I got through re- I got to realize a childhood dream meeting uh, Maurice and Rob. So obviously for, for those Thank who are listening, Maurice, the Martian, Rob Poulton, uh, Pinky and the Brain uh, were there. And um, yeah, it was it was incredible. And sort of my personal story of it, which is funny. Enough, and it was actually some members of your staff that commented on. I was getting my my photos on my autograph done and I, I was sort of chatting away. And um, we got in, you know, for the, the photo with the two of them together. And, we're, you know, the girls are taking the photo as they do. And I, I'm obviously smiling the way I've got a big, you know, big stupid grin on me that I'm so happy. But then the lads broke into Pinky and the brain. And it was a simple something like point nerf, whatever way. Yeah. Went, I, I, I can't even remember. And your staff even said the smile went from there up to <laughs> ear to ear purely because at that moment in time, I was standing beside Pinky and the brain. And it was yeah. just um it was just an incredible experience. It really was.
5: Oh, you know, like I mean, my sister um who was working in the back office this year, and um, she would normally do guests, but we sort of moved her a bit as well to more senior role. Um she loves pinky in the brain as well. And she had to bring Rob down for his antigen test, you know, for flying off. And he gave basically gave her a private rendition of the countries of the world. <laughs> and- yeah, she said she got she raged raging. She didn't have the camera on to record it, but she was still sitting there, kind of going, "That was brilliant." <laughs> so I think everyone this year has stories, real positive stories, actually, to take away from it.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I would one hundred percent agree. And um, moving sort of slightly more towards the Star Wars side of things, and I have to be a little bit jealous of this because I felt like DCC stole our thunder a little bit. Um, First of all, thank you for having Blab Alive back again. We know we had a massive uh, surprises planned for all that was going on for uh, Star Wars before COVID hit. Uh, People are kind of familiar with it now. There was going to be, you know, they might have seen The Mandalorian quite early and there were a couple of other things. But for us this year, we actually were able to work with our friends in Penguin Publishing to actually have uh, Mike Chen, who is the author of the new Star Wars Brotherhood book, um, do a shout out for Dublin Comic Con and to record an episode uh, with us. So we had this kept under wraps and we were going, this is going to be amazing and the guests will love it. And to be fair, they did. There were a couple of jaws that dropped when he announced what was going to be in the book and more importantly, who was going to be in the book. But then Dublin Comic Con brings out a Q&A to end all Q&As. <laughs> So can you tell the folks listening about that, who it was and how in the name of God did you pull that off?
5: All right, I'd say, oh, oh, that goes all to Olivia. Yeah. That I'd say that was Olivia doing an awful lot there with um, Barry Kogan. He's a lovely lad. I met him years ago um, in DIFF, the Dublin International Film Festival. Yeah. Um, so I met him there years ago and he was literally just coming off of Love, Hate, the infamous scenes from Love, Hate, and he was kind of tentatively going uh, steps towards America when I met him first. And he was like, oh, I have a few projects there at the time that may not have come to fruition, but he's a lovely lad. Uh, he's such a nice guy. Um, so it's great to see him coming along. But yeah, I think that's all praise for that one goes to Olivia on that one. I think she worked hard to to pull that off.
1: It, it was. It was incredible. Like I said, it stole our thunder a little bit, so I have to be a little bit jealous about that but. <laughs> I think in the grander scheme of things, it says an awful lot about Dublin Comic-Con that here's this local lad. Um, for those listening, if you didn't know, Barry is from an area in Dublin called Summerhill, maybe 15, 20 minutes from where we are. I mean, grew up a, a local lad to go on and achieve what he has with love, hate, obviously being in Eternals. And then if you haven't seen The Batman yet, you might want to get on that quickly because um, <laughs> there is a, a, a movie-stealing scene there which was, uh, which was released, but... I think that says everything about you, the team and the sort of profile now of Dublin Comic Con and that you are bringing in guests of this magnitude. I mean, Ireland is a very small country. We're only a a little. What does it say for our main con to be able to pull in guests like that?
5: I think it's massive. And I think the fact that we're getting local actors who want to be there because we also have Pollyanna McIntosh there. And she only lives down the road as well. Like, she lives around Clontarf, neck of the woods. So to have these local folk wanting to go to this con says an awful lot about the respect that they have for the con because, I mean, you kind of go, do I want to go to a show where my neighbours might see me and start, you know, slagging me off or whatever? And like, no, we actually want to go. And I think... We've always been very lucky with our guests and that they've always gone back with positivities. And the first real plug of that one I'd say was with Michael Rucker. Oh, yeah. He went down a storm when we had him. And he went back and his and the agents keep going back. So we actually now have guests contacting us saying, We want to go. What can you do for us? Because we want to be there. How do we make this work? So I think kind of it, it does play an awful lot. Like I very much treat the guests as if they're in my home. Mm-hmm. So I know it's a CCD. I know it's not exactly my home, but I'm like you're in my house. So while you're in my house, you're my guest, and I will do what I can to make your stay enjoyable. And I think the guests appreciate that an awful lot. Like I mean, we're always giving them out restaurant, um, you know, recommendations, places to go and see and do around Dublin, even around Ireland. And, like, we've done an awful lot. I mean, even then when we did the KerryCon, um, I was the videographer for Casper Van Dien to uh, propose to Jenny.
1: Yeah. So, you know, like,
5: you, you just do whatever it takes to, to get the guests happy. And they've all been singing our praises, so long may that continue, <laughs>
1: One hundred percent. And I suppose that goes down to they are treated with the the typical Irish hospitality that we are known around the world for, that they be, essentially become one of our own when they are in our care.
5: Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it pays off. Like I've had such fun. I've had such horror stories as well. Like, I mean, there's some of the guests I wanted to throttle by the end of the weekend for their <laughs> shenanigans. <laughs> But, um, you know, they they appreciate it and the agents appreciate that they know we're at the end of a phone, that they can ring us at any time. And like my phone now is ridiculous with the amount of agents numbers I have on it and guest numbers on it. But they know if there's something wrong? Yeah. Give Naomi a buzz. You know, it's it'll be sourced. It'll be looked after whatever it is. You know, it's there. It's not a big deal. Once I know I can sort it.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's vitally important as well. For anyone who's sort of never maybe volunteered at any of the big cons or has worked behind the scenes, that support network and that list of contacts is vital to the success of any con, let alone cons in a little country sh- uh, such as ourselves.
5: Absolutely. Like word of mouth is so important. And it's like I have a core group of volunteers. Uh, a load of them have been with me since day one. And I mean, they know the ropes. They can think on their heads. And I I always say to people, get volunteering. It looks amazing on your CV, for starters, because it shows you're prepared to go out there and do something. And you'll be amazed at the skills you learn that you use at volunteering that you can then bring into your job, your day job or whatever it happens to be. And it gives you oodles of confidence. Like I have folks who volunteer at me who would scream if you said boo to them. But you put them in the situation of minding a guest and they just blossom. You know They can handle themselves. They can handle whatever's thrown at them there. Maybe once the cot is finished, they might need to go and sleep for a week. But you know, I think it gives them a chance to sort of prove themselves. And I love my volunteers. Like I've been volunteering for, God, 20 odd years at different events and different things. Get into volunteering, folks. It's the best way to see everything.
1: I couldn't agree more and if I could just say off that this has been an absolute pleasure hearing from one of the the big kahunas behind the scenes of DCC because (laughs) without without people like you without the likes of Olivia Carroll and so many others to name like DCC would not be what it is today and just before I let you go one thing I did want to ask you is I'm imagining the planning for the next DCC has already commenced probably before this one had (laughs) even begun so could you just give it a little bit of an insight for folks in sort of from the event side of things, how much planning goes into it? And just how much are you, you know, whether you're liaising with agents, uh, are you liaising with the, the venue itself to, to get everything set up? Just how much planning goes into organising a con of this magnitude?
5: It, go, it goes in like literally the con wraps on Sunday evening at five o'clock. You take down Monday morning, you're back in planning. You're having debriefing sessions with the CCD. What went right? What went wrong? What do we need for next time? What do we not need for next time? Um, you're on the agents as well. Who couldn't come in March, right? Are they still on for August? You're literally, you don't really stop in fairness. Like you are planning for the next one. You're kind of going, right, what went right? What went wrong? I, I, I actually sent an email there yesterday to Derek, um, my sister, to kind of go, right, here's our checklist for August. Will you review this and come back to me and um, so we can get cracking on it now and have it all ready for us. how many volunteers are we going to need? Hotel rooms. You just don't stop. Like you actually don't get a break from it. And I said, we all do work full time. Like so we have the con. But we all have full time jobs and none mm-hmm. of us, I would say, have easy full time jobs either. And um, so, you know, we, we pretty much yeah, keep it going all year round. Like we're constantly talking to each other, emails backwards and forwards. And yes, yeah, just keep on planning from day one. You, you can't take a day off from it, unfortunately. I mean, as much as I oh, can take a break for a week or two, you don't get to do that because if you do, you can forget about something. So it is very much plan for the next one.
1: I'm fair to say the planning for this one can move at full steam ahead at presently without any restrictions or anything you have to be reactive to. You can literally just be laser focused on what you want to do and how how you want to do it effectively.
5: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the government, we're still keeping an eye on what the government are saying. They're Mm -hmm. saying no more restrictions. So as far as I'm concerned, you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. That's fine. I mean, I'm all for it, Uh, but everything else, business is normal.
1: Naomi, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and bring on DCC in the summer. I I can't wait.
5: Absolutely can't wait.
2: (laughs) So thanks again to those awesome ladies for their interviews. Great job on the interviews, by the way, too, Gary. Thank you. (laughs) So that's not all, though, folks. There's more
1: oh yeah well now we sort of come to our main event don't we the the little thing that we sort of had kept secret worked on in the background for a little while and we were able to to make it happen so um yes it was pretty amazing to do Kate and first of all can I just say I am so excited for Star Wars Brotherhood it's not even funny
2: yeah for real
1: (laughs) So for those of you who missed Blab Alive, one of our big talking points was obviously the release of uh, the Kenobi Disney Plus series. So it was a nice little segue away in that there is a new Star Wars book coming out, which features not only Obi-Wan, but Anakin, and it is set in the Clone Wars era.
0: Woohoo! Okay, i
1: think you will agree a, a writer's dream and we even said that we were so jealous that somebody was getting an opportunity to write this book <laughs> so yes. at blab alive we were lucky enough to have the author of star wars brotherhood uh mike chen record a, a little message and a shout out for the folks at dcc where mm-hmm. we were lucky enough to get a little bit of a, a sneak peek and I suppose some little details of what we can expect and what Brotherhood is shaping up to be.
2: What was the response like for Blob Alive after that?
1: Oh, the response to it was great. I mean, the the build up for Kenobi is is obviously huge, and the character w- we know is is well loved within the fandom. I mean, how long have we yeah. been asking for for more Kenobi content, and we're getting it. So the fact that mike was kind enough to come on and give a, a little bit of a message and a little bit of insight into what's upcoming in the book there was a particular character mentioned uh initials are av i'm i i do not need to say much more than that but um there were a few audible gasps and a few jaws dropping with that also <laughs> being uh, thrown into the equation so <laughs> i have no doubt that a lot of people uh, at the end of the con were actually asked us, is there a release date? You know, how soon can can we get it? Yeah. So um the, the reaction was fantastic. That's and, awesome. And again, there was a huge round of applause for for Mike to to do that for us you know it's it it was particularly it was great for obviously for a blab alive but for such a little country like ireland to for us to be able to pull off something like that and give the (laughs) fans returning after so long just a little sneak peek was um that
2: was so nice of mike
1: it was and by the way i think we would be remiss kate if we didn't give an enormous shout out one of the biggest shout outs we have ever given to <laughs> the wonderful Daisy Saunders at Penguin Random House. Yeah, go because Daisy. Daisy, without you, this would not have happened. So we just want to say thank you yes, so much. Yes, Daisy and is amazing. And hopefully we can have Mike back on the show at some point for a spoiler filled discussion after the release of the book.
2: Yes, that would be amazing.
1: So Kate, without further ado, shall we just get into it?
2: Let's roll the interview.
1: So I'm delighted to say that we are joined by the one and only
3: Mike Chen. Mike, how are you? I'm good. It is. uh, Hello. Hello, Dublin. (laughs) It is very warm in California here.
1: (laughs) I can imagine it is and it's probably humid as well, is it?
3: It is. Yeah. Very bright and sunny today. (laughs)
1: at least you get the good weather i'm so envious of a bit of sunshine <laughs> you know we yeah. we see the sunshine and we think it's a tourist <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: we need more water so if you want to transport some of that over our way but we'll take it
1: we've we've got that in abundance i can say for sure um first of all thank you so much for taking the time to do this it's um it's always great to talk to authors and particularly authors of some books that have been on our radar for an upcoming discussion so thank you for doing that we will Thanks discuss the elephant. we will discuss the elephant in the room at some point that you are of course going to be writing the upcoming star wars brotherhood um mm-hmm. i have my blinds down so there are no uh there's nobody looking in or hearing anything <laughs> that we talk about so <laughs> yeah. we uh we'll keep it on the down low but yes first of all, of all the to, non-disclosure to agreements
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so just to get us started mike um can you tell us, how did your journey start? So how did your journey to becoming an author start and how did you end up exactly where you are now?
3: Um, I, so I have always been writing stories. Like when I was a kid, um, and this is going to do some sci-fi deep diving here. So I drew a lot of my own comic strips um, and, and I would always mash up characters from, from like one universe to another. Uh, I was obsessed with like star wars was my first science fiction obsession i was born in the late 70s so like I, I grew up with it i saw return of the jedi in the theater but what really catapulted me like when when star wars kind of started to wane from like pop culture and stuff was the anime series robotech which launched in 1985 and it had like it was as a young kid like that blew my mind like the the, the depth of the storytelling in that and so I would do like my own sort of like fan fiction comic strips of that. But I I'd do these things where like I would do very much like slice of life little segments of there, um, where like characters from that. I would mix them up with uh, for, for you diehard PC video game nerds. Um, in the 80s, there was a, an adventure game series called Space Quest uh, about a janitor who just kind of ha- uh, haplessly like gets into like these massively epic situations and so i would take the janitor from space quest and i would put him in robotech and they would like he'd be talking to like you know pilots and like mech engineers and people like that like in the mess hall and things like that so it was very much slice of life type of stuff Um, i always found those types of stories the most interesting and that's actually where a lot of the stuff i write right now is still kind of in that vein so that's, it all started really with that. And in college, I took, um, I took creative writing. Like I knew I was good at writing. Like I knew I had a good feel for it. And my, my, my professor there encouraged me to keep writing. Um, and uh, we're still in touch now because she's, she's an executive in the publishing industry. And when I got an agent, I reached out to her and she remembered who I was. And one of the cool things was I remember at the end of uh, that college uh, class, she told me that I had wrecked the curve. Um, And so after I'd sent her several of my books, and she was um, home visiting her parents, and she was digging through like some old boxes of storage from from like when she was teaching. And she found the grade book from the quarter that I was in. So she sent it to me. And so she, like, she said, you can look, you really did wreck the curve with that one. So, so um, yeah, I've been, um, I signed with an agent in 2015. I had about a 10 year stint as a sports journalist. Um, so I covered um, professional uh, ice hockey for about 10 years. I also write corporate copy for like marketing and technical writing because that pays way better than any other form of writing. Um, but I signed with my agent in 2015. I um, My first book came out in 2019 um, and I still do freelance. Um, uh, I write freelance articles for um, like Nerdist and Star Trek.com <clears throat> and other geek media outlets like that. Well, you're
1: talking to a, a big, a big trekkie there. So, Kate, maybe the next question should should fall <laughs> to you with that.
0: <laughs> All right. So, were there any specific writers or genres that you were drawn to?
3: Oh yeah. So, um, so growing up, um, actually, the the first hard science fiction. I don't know if it's technically hard science fiction because it's not like Isaac Asimov. But um, so. Uh, Star Wars writers James Luceno and Brian Daly, they wrote the adult novelizations of the Robotech series. And then they spun that off into the sequel series, The Sentinels, which was the so the Robotech was supposed to have a sequel, like co produced US slash Japan anime series that fell through because of funding. So uh, Luceno and Daly, like, wrote the sequel series for that. Um, and then, like, the third. Like I guess season of Robotech, they also wrote the novel for that. So I was obsessed with those books, and that was really like my entryway into science fiction reading. Um, and, and I still read those books because they 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 provided like this layer of depth that you couldn't get across in like twenty two minute episodes. Um, so I was uh, from science fiction. I also went to Anne Rice. I read a lot of <laughs> Anne Rice vampire and witch books oh, wow. as a moody goth teen <laughs> trying to figure <laughs> out who i was um and i do i did read a lot of contemporary stuff too so nick hornby is one of my favorite writers and and i felt like with nick hornby um the the type of like relationship-based storytelling that i really enjoy uh, um, that's where i got a lot of inspiration from i just kind of stick it in like science fiction venues like the apocalypse or time travel or whatever
0: very cool
1: I suppose that spins around to another question the way if you you said you know you like that type of relationship like that how did that then imprint on you in
3: the sense of what makes a Mike Chen book um my agent likes to joke that I write science fiction with feelings um and I think that that's probably the i I have gotten the feedback from readers that like even though i I skip around with every genre so my first one was time travel my second one was post-apocalyptic my third one was superheroes my fourth one is like x files um and my upcoming fifth one is going to be vampires so i skip around across genres but um i've heard readers say that like they they enjoy that I'm not sticking with one thing, but they know that like it's going to have strong character work, strong dialogue work in there, and um, and a lot of feelings <laughs> in a healthy way. Um, so I, I think it's really just a character like very tight focus on character, like how they're experiencing like these really fantastical situations. And and that really, I mean, we'll talk about brotherhood coming up, but that's that was really my approach to, to brotherhood as well was to, like really get into. Obi-Wan and Anakin and the other characters who have not been announced yet, but, but they get points of view.
0: <laughs> so obviously, you know, we're, we're doing this interview via Zoom and how has the past few years during a pandemic, how has that affected your writing process?
3: It's um it, it's made me a lot more efficient um, because I have a young daughter who is seven years old and without having the support system of like school and daycare and things like that, um, uh, it's <laughs> that first year of, of 2020 when like no one knew what was happening and we didn't have vaccinations and it was just like fear combined with shock. And I found that writing was a really nice escape from all of that. Um, but from a, like a technical level um, because my wife and my daughter and I, I we're just kind of like always around each other right now and my wife has an immune condition so we we are extra cautious with getting back out into the world. Um, and so I've learned to write in like 30 15 to 30 minute sprints. I've learned to become a tighter outliner. Um, and a, and a tighter editor, uh, like self editing for myself too. Um, and it's just like, it's this mode of efficiency that, like, it, you have to make it work because there are contractual obligations and there are deadlines. Um, so I think, like, you know, fingers crossed that we actually resume some sort of pace of, of normalcy at some point. Um, and I think when that happens and, and I can actually breathe again, I think I, I will. The silver lining to to this madness is that I have become a much more efficient writer and much better at like being critical of myself in in a healthy and constructive way
0: that's very cool
1: has
3: your um has your
1: writing process sorry Kate I just wanted to ask like has your writing process at all changed um so for example are you a writer who sort of has an end game in mind and sort of mm-hmm. reverse engineers the plot based on that? Or do you start from complete scratch and have maybe one or two ideas and then build upon them?
3: Um, I, so I do it in layers. Um, like the, It's kind of like from the top down. So the first layer is always just like a, an idea, like the, does this idea work? Um, so for, like, um, for Light Years From Home, which is my recent alien abduction one, it's the idea... That uh, uh, if a family, if someone what would happen if someone got abducted by aliens, and then they returned, and they but they claim to be fighting like a mass effect style war for for a decade or so like how would the family which has already broken apart how would they reconcile that. So I look at an idea like that and i think like can i actually get a full story out of this and i have a whole like spreadsheet of ideas that like no i can't get a full story out of this um but if it does feel like that there's there's weight for that then i write out an outline for it um and it's probably just a one-page outline and if that really feels like it works then i break it down further into a three-act structure and i probably write a synopsis that's several thousand words um, and from there, it's really, once I know the plot works, then it's time to look at the characters and, and see what makes them tick. And so from there, I'll do a first draft and then I'll start to paint over or, or build layer by layer, like the details in there. So the first draft is a lot of dialogue, a lot of dialogue and stage direction um, that winds up kind of making the skeleton of the draft and then layer by layer, Um, I'll fill in the character work, the world building as ideas come to me. I I have some friends who do the world building first and like they, they will create like their magic system or their economic system or whatever. And they will see what kind of story comes out of that. I am completely the other way. I I am plot and character first, and then I will reverse engineer the world building as I need it.
0: Interesting. So Gary, do you think we should go on to Elephant in the room,
1: yeah. Shall we just get to the (laughs) elephant in the room? So, so for first of all, may I say, Mike, we would be we are both insanely jealous of this opportunity that you have been (laughs) given. So, first and foremost, we know you can't divulge a lot, and quite frankly, we don't want you to divulge anything because this is one that we really want to read. But Mm -hmm. you've been chosen to write Brotherhood. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about how this
3: opportunity came about and what your initial reaction was? Yes, that part I can talk about. <laughs> uh, so, when I signed with my agent in 2015, um, he asked, "Like, what are your pie in the sky like dreams?" Um, you know, some people want to become a like bestseller. Some people want critical acclaim. I said, "I want to write a Star Wars book. I want to write a Star Wars book in the Clone Wars era." Um, and so he, he knew that this, this was a goal. And, and as he got to know um, the team at Del Rey for like, because they, they publish a whole bunch of different IP. I think they do Minecraft, d like a bunch of other stuff. So like, and Marvel too. And so as he's gotten to know them because he's had authors work on other projects, he kept saying like, by the way, like, you know, for when you have an opportunity and he would send them my books too. So they would get familiar with, with my material. Um, and I was really lucky that I had some friends who are on the Star Wars roster who, um, you know, because we would just talk out about like geeky Star Wars stuff and so they, were, they would tell the Del Rey team from time to time if you're looking for someone we think Mike will be a good fit. And so um, it actually started in when I got asked to do the from certain point of view anthology for the Empire Strikes Back. Um, So that was my first entry in there. And so they kind of use that as it's, um, I don't want to say it's an audition piece, but like you have 40 stories and 40 authors. So you get a chance to see what newer authors would would get to do with this material. And so I I got invited into that about halfway through the author selection. And so I asked, well, who's available? And so they give me like this list of scenes that I could pick from. And so I'm like, I saw like, um, there's the droid that swears at C-3PO. There's one, like the commander who's like at the comm station behind like when Vader chokes, is it General Veers he chokes out? I can't remember. Um, But whoever it is, he chokes out like the, the guy behind him. So there was like four or five different scenes like that. And then there's also like, you know, Palpatine talks to Vader. And um, I asked the editor, like, why has no one picked this yet? <laughs> and he goes, oh, I think everyone's afraid of, like, you know, they're a bit intimidated to write Palpatine." And so I wrote five pitches, which, which Tom, the editor there, like, he'll tell you, like, it is the most that anyone has ever like pitched to them. And it was like, I, I I'm like, if I have this opportunity, I want to like put everything out on the table. So I wrote five pitches. Four of them were for incidental characters and they were kind of like just light fun stories and then the fifth one was Palpatine um and is it is it okay to talk spoilers about that um about that particular story for a certain point of view yeah for the for my story oh yeah we've oh yeah we've that we uh, we
1: we had a we had an episode about uh both of them Kate didn't we so yeah feel feel free to talk
3: spoilers okay so um (laughs) So I decided that like, if I'm only going to get one shot at writing Star Wars, I want to do something of consequence. And I thought like, there's no way they're going to let me get away with this. I'm a new writer <laughs> to their team. So I wrote a, a pitch where Palpatine discovers the identity of Luke Skywalker. And he does it through, um, uh, by basically intercepting like a disturbance in the force, uh, like a spike of, a, of a vision that he gets from, from Anakin, Vader. Um, and I thought like, there's no way they're going to let me do this. This is going to be defined by someone else somewhere who has more clout than me, but then they let me, they accepted it. And they said like, which one of these do you want to do? And I said, like, if I can do it, let me do the Palpatine one. Um, and so I I did that and I really filled it with ties to clone wars and the prequel trilogy, because I wanted to like, weave this fabric that like underneath all of the machinery and the the anger and everything like is the heart of Anakin Skywalker. Anakin Skywalker cares and that caring has been distorted and twisted into Darth Vader. And that's what I really wanted to get at. So there's actually ties in that too to Matthew Stover's Revenge of the Sith novel. Um, And so when that happened, I was like, okay I think this worked. I think people are happy with it. I got a lot of really great feedback from it. Um, I had Sam Witwer, you know, the voice of Darth Maul. He did the audio for it. And and that was super awesome. Uh, So I thought, like, if I don't get another chance at this, at least, like, I have made a mark. Like, I have written something that is, like, significant in canon. Um, And then about May 2021, my agent calls me. And I, I picked up the phone and I actually told, like, when I answered the phone, I said, why are you calling me? Like, I don't have anything on submission right now. Like, I'm, in, I'm actively working on projects. And he said, would you like to write a Star Wars book? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm like, what, what, what? And he said, not just a Star Wars book, Anakin and Obi-Wan. And so, like, my mind is just exploding with, with ideas and questions and stuff. And so this was... end of the school year so like my daughter was in remote kindergarten so like i'm trying to help her oversee that while like dealing with like day job emails and i'm on the phone with my agent about this and my wife comes down and she hears me say clone wars uh and so she looks at me and i nod i'm like yes and then she and then i i tell my agent like what's the schedule like you know these things have tight turnarounds i don't know if i can do it and my wife's just like do it. Say yes. We'll find a way to do it. Um, and so she she was just like, "You're not backing out of this." <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that was that was how I found out. Um, and then the process is was just insane. Like unlike anything that I've had to do, where it starts off with they gave me parameters. Um, like they said, like we it to take place around here. Here are your your principal players. This is kind of what we want it to be about. But um, but you have freedom to to make a pitch out of it. And so with, we were supposed to just do like a general like getting to know you call, I think in like the end of the week, I think it called, I think I got the call like early and then like by Thursday or Friday, I was supposed to just talk with the editorial team about like, oh, this is what I do. And this is what I'd be interested in. I had a full like 3000 word pitch ready. Like I wrote it like instantly. <laughs> Wow. And I emailed it to my agent and I sent and I read it to I read it to Alex, like my editor, I read it to him like for the first time like, live like, on our first zoom call where I, I just kind of very sheepishly was like, well, I, I already wrote a pitch, can I read it to you. <laughs> and that pitch became brotherhood. Um, Like the, the general arc of it stayed completely the same. We added I think two fairly like major characters, like we, we fleshed it out. Um, but like the whole arc uh, of like like the general plot, the investigation and like the, the character arcs of Obi-Wan and Anakin, like that, everything stayed from that. Um, and then there was like a few months of, of building the outline from 3000 words. My final outline was about 25,000 words. So about a quarter of the book. Um, and I have like full speeches in there, dialogue exchanges like descriptions of like fights or whatever because the idea was you're going to build the, the actual book off of this so anything that like comes to mind um, just put it down on paper and then that went through I think five iterations with the the Del Rey like the editorial team and, and the, the Lucasfilm team and then to actually write the first draft i think i had two and a half months to do it it was it was insane and then That's i had one month between um the end of december and the end of january i did two rounds of revision on top of that so wow. um it was it was pretty intense but it was also ridiculously fun so like i i you know have written fan fiction my whole life the only reason i don't write fan fiction now is because i don't have time but this felt like writing fan fiction so it was like after the end of like a really hard day like between day job and parenting and everything I would sit down and play with Obi-Wan and Anakin for for (laughs) like two hours and like my word count per day was just higher than anything that I've done before it was insane
0: that's so cool that's it's fascinating just hearing the, the whole process of it all
3: yeah it's it's a tight turnaround like I had I had been warned about that before because I actually I was, I was at a conference um, and I did a panel with Rebecca Roanhorse and I asked her afterwards like, "What is your schedule like for Star Wars?" And she's like, "Oh, from start to finish, like three months." And I'm like, "How is that even possible?" And she's like, "It's Star Wars. You just do it."
0: Crazy. So can we delve a little bit into some of the source materials or inspiration? Uh, for what became your story?
3: I think we can, but I'm, I'm gonna dance around a few things. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, that's fine. So, uh, okay, well, what, what we do know is what's on the jacket copy. Um, it it's, takes place between Attack of the Clones and the Clone Wars movie. Um, it takes place a little after E.K. Johnston's Queen's Hope. Um, And I had, uh, I had emailed with Kate to make sure that our stories synced up. Um, And I think it's okay to say that um, with the Padme stuff in my book, I was like, I don't know how to write about clothes. <laughs> like, that's just something <laughs> I don't care about. So I asked Kate, like, what would Padme wear in, like, this situation? Like, oh, very cool. So so she she helped pick the wardrobe for, for Padme in that, because she is the Padme master. Um, <laughs> I, I do say that, like, what people should read before they read my book, if they want the full experience, they should read Stover's Revenge of the Sith novel, um, which... It has both a thematic influence and then like direct like functional influence on my book. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm being cryptic, but if, you, if you've read that book and you love that book because it's amazing and one of the best books ever written across <laughs> any genre, um, you will pick up things like almost immediately. Um, okay. So Stover's Revenge of the Sith, uh, Claudia Gray's uh, Master and Apprentice, that's that's important for Obi Wan's side of things. Um, Queen's Hope, um, you know, I just mentioned uh, my story from from a certain point of view um, that has some ties into it too. Um, and these all like kind of scale up and down. I'd say like the one with like the biggest weight is really Stover's book. Um, there's other things that I know people are are wondering like, did this affect you? And I'm being very cryptic here. Um, mm-hmm. I will talk about that after it's released. I'll just say oh, we like, need I, to
0: do a part two. Um,
3: Could we do I'll, a part two? Which I'll, I'll just say that, like, <laughs> um, having been a you know a lifelong Star Wars fan, someone who like you know has consumed Star Wars in every form since you know I was born, including like kind of the dead era, like you know between prequel movies and things like that. Um, I am very aware of things, and I ask to use a lot.
0: Very cool.
1: I I think we should leave the brotherhood talk there, Kate. Once the uh, yeah. the cryptic answers <laughs> start coming, we're backing away. Um, yeah. to to switch that on the flip side, then um, Mike, purely as just a Star Wars fan, mm-hmm. Anakin, Obi Wan, Clone Wars, what a yeah. Trinity. That yeah. that for you just had to have been a was it a career highlight in a way in the sense that you were presented with just this opportunity to, to, to dream essentially?
3: Yeah. I mean, that's why I was saying that like writing, there was one night where I wrote, I, I remember like when the outline, it was like after the fourth or fifth revision of the outline, it was like really, really close. And I was just looking at the schedule and I'm like, I'm just going to start. And I sat down and I wrote like the first two chapters. It's like, almost like 6,000 words. And I wrote it and it felt like no time had passed. Um, And I I was like, even through like the initial drafting, I just felt like if I didn't have to sleep and work and parent, like I could just sit down and write this like 24 hours a day for like a full week or whatever. Um, So yeah, it was, it was, it, it is probably like the dream project for me um, I like the only other, like, if you told me, like, the only other thing that would compete with this would be a Qui-Gon Jin book. It, um, but I mean, like, you know, that's been covered with like Master and Apprentice, Apprentice. you know, uh, Kirsten White's upcoming Padawan is going to cover some of that. And uh, Kevin Scott, like, touched on like his relationship with Dooku. Like, the one thing that like, I would have really, really loved is to do like a Qui-Gon and Dooku book but like then i once i once i listened to um the dooku jedi lost i'm like okay that's that's covered (laughs) i can't go back to that so this really is like i could not pick a better you know more preferred topic for me so like getting offered this is just ridiculous (laughs) i I can't even i can't even believe it sometimes (laughs) crazy and i will say too that um one of the things cuz you know i obviously a huge clone wars fan and in you know a big prequel fan um when i was writing anakin in particular because i think like the 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 james arnold taylor um obi-wan voice is very very similar to like the the ewan voice like in terms of like the character and the physical voice but anakin obviously has like a little bit more difference with it and i could feel writing this like i knew when to pull like the Hayden voice and uh, when to pull like the Matt Lanter voice. And I, I tried to think like functionally, like, you know, most of the time we see Hayden's Anakin. Like, he's being kind of like talked down to by like the Jedi. <laughs> so he's he's pulling back and being more formal. But you see him loosen up when he's around Padme and also in Revenge of the Sith when he's joking with Obi Wan, which is. And that voice is more similar to like the Matt Lanter voice that we see most of the time in Clone Wars. so. Like it's knowing when to use which tonal aspect of Anakin, it felt very instinctive. And that was really, really fun to play with.
0: That's a really interesting observation. I hadn't thought about that, but it's really true. Huh. So you mentioned uh, like Matthew Stover and E.K. Johnson as mm-hmm. some of the authors and everything. Um, I guess, do you have any others? Uh, any other favorite star wars writers or novels that you want to shout out
3: um th- so i will say i'll shout these out be- um and they they don't they're not necessarily like influencing mine because like you know they, they take place in, yeah in different eras. right this is just
0: like general things
3: so um anything claudia gray has written is is just the best like of, of oh, the yes. modern crop of star wars <laughs> authors like she we're she, a huge huge club. yeah sure. <laughs> she nails it every time um oh, yeah. i I grew up um, when I was a teen, like I you know, the Zahn trilogy was very formative really? for me. Um, like I went to in, in America, we had these, uh, these bookstores that no longer exist called Walden Books. They were in <laughs> like shopping centers. Um, and I, I went to like the launch of the Zahn trilogy there where they had like the VHS playing on like the TV and on a cart oh, wow. that they rolled in, <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, so, I, and I did love like Heir to the Empire was my, my favorite of, of that trilogy. Um, I already mentioned Stover. Stover's like just freaking incredible. Um, mm-hmm. I did like the, like, I haven't read all of the new um, Thrawn books, but um, the, from the ones that I read, I really liked that it felt like the perfect blend of like new canon and old legends. Um, mm-hmm. And in particular Thrawn Alliances, where it feels like a cut clone wars episode, but like being able to kind of feel all of that from Vader's perspective and Thrawn's perspective. I really, really love that book. Um, I am totally blanking on others right now, (laughs) but but yeah, that's off the top of my head. It was a question that was sort of
1: one of the big ones that I wanted to ask you, Mike, but Kate even mentioned, you mentioned so many things that we as readers, we don't even think about in your process and it's, it's a question that sort of always plays on my mind. What is it about good old pen and paper? What is it that a book can do that a big screen and VFX can't? Is it, you know, it pushes your imagination further? Does the individuality of the reader come in where they may see something described and visualize it
3: totally differently? Or is it an amalgamation of things? Um, I think it's, it's actually, I think the biggest thing is, is time and depth. Um, because like, you know, on, especially with movies, you know, that the last 30 to 45 minutes is going to be a set piece. So, you know, there's, there's not going to be a lot of character development there. I really, uh, this is, this is diverging into superheroes, but I really love superhero TV much more than superhero movies, because I will take you know, 12 episodes of Daredevil over like any like Avengers movie or whatever, because like you get to spend that time and really explore who these people are in like really ridiculous situations. Um, So I I think like novels, you get that space to do it. In this case, um, I would say like, even in Anakin's first chapter, um, you know, you're in his headspace because he's in this really weird space where, you know, he's just been promoted his arm has been cut off he's married you know like he's dealing with all these things and to be able to to dive into his head and like actually help him process you know like the echoes of his entire life culminating in in like this really weird moment in time for him like you wouldn't get to do that on on a visual medium like maybe in a tv show but definitely not in a movie there's not enough space for that
0: i think we already know the answer to this question but prequel era or original trilogy?
3: <laughs> uh, I, so uh, I, I will always say that um, I, I totally acknowledge the flaws, like the, the technical flaws of like some of the prequel films, um, but except for Revenge of the Sith, that movie is freaking amazing and I will defend it till I die. <laughs> Revenge of the Sith is a, one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, but uh, so like if in terms of like, um the era itself i have always been fascinated with with just the world of the prequels because it's the you know the original trilogy it's like it's fast and dirty and it's like good versus evil and the prequels have this like level of like gray morality that like that you just don't get in the original trilogy and i love the idea of like things just falling apart without without people even realizing it i think there's a lot of dramatic tension in there um and i love the idea of like you know these heroes are kind of like in a way like the villains themselves like like the, the systemic institution of the jedi order and like their lack of like adaptability and mobility is like kind of like the, the actual villain. Yeah. So I, I love the complexity of that. So yes, yeah, like the the prequels and the Clone Wars did such a good job exploring all of that. Um so the Clone Wars is probably my favorite piece of Star Wars as a whole, and then the era of the prequels is my favorite.
0: Awesome.
3: Would your favorite character be in prequels era as well? Or have you got a character
1: that you're particularly drawn to? I know you chose to write for Palpatine and you've said that you would love to do something
3: Qui-Gon, but who is your actual favorite Star Wars character, Mike? It, it, so it rotates. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I'm just going to like say a group of them because they really do rotate. Um, <clears throat> so um, Qui-Gon, Anakin, Dooku, Ahsoka, Obi-Wan. It's basically that. <laughs>
0: awesome (laughs) that's so cool i think i think that's pretty common among star wars fans it's hard to just pick one yeah it it really (laughs) is i mean
3: like there there are definitely times when i'm like you know han solo is the coolest or you know like and and like i love watching the sequel trilogy with my daughter she she's like has such like she sees so much of herself in ray and i love enjoying that with her um so it's like and then like um Hera from Rebels is one of my favorite characters of all time too. Um, so it's like everything changes from day to day. But like if I had to pick, like who would I want to play with in terms of storytelling? Like I, I mm-hmm. find the complexity of those prequel era characters probably the most interesting.
0: Very cool. All right, so we just have one left that we wanted to get to. Um, do you have any advice for young writers?
3: Oh. OK, so this is the perfect, uh, perfect topic for it, because write fan fiction. And I, I've, I've talked about that you know, quite a bit here. And writing for IP like Star Wars feels like writing fan fiction, except you're, you, know, you have certain parameters that you have to work around. Um, fan fiction, from a craft perspective, is, is like the best tool, because you don't have to worry about world building. You don't have to come up with new characters. You don't have to think of new character voices like all of that's built for you so if you say like i really want to work on uh writing action because i don't feel like i pace action that well and then you pick like you know pick a ventress and anakin scene and make it up on your own and and see how the dialogue works between them while you're writing the action the, another trick to that is actually taking one of your favorite scenes from a movie or a show and then writing that out in prose and so, though, I mean, that's basically fan fiction. Uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. like you're creating a novelization of it. <clears throat> so all of that takes away from a lot of like the discovery work that you have to do with like, how am I going to, like, who is this character or what are the stakes or whatever? You don't have to worry about that. You just get to play. And when you get to play, mm-hmm. you, you have a much easier time, like, focusing on a certain element of craft.
0: That's awesome advice.
3: And fan fiction is heard... just fun to do. So
0: yeah. Yeah, I, I hear that a lot. So, I I think I think it was actually Claudia Gray was talking about that when we interviewed her. How that's how, kind of how she started too, and yeah. So
3: I will you say, hear like that, one, kids? Of, <laughs> one of my favorite things that I've ever written, and it's not published except on fanfiction.org <laughs> is um <laughs> it, it is a Star Trek: The Next Generation uh, story that I wrote. Um, and whenever the fan fiction discussion comes up on Twitter, I always post it because I wish more people would would read. Ooh,
0: it. can you send a link? <laughs> yeah, I can,
3: I can. I can send a. Li- Actually, here I'll put it in the chat right now.
0: Awesome.
3: We'll we'll have to get pictures
1: tomorrow, Kate, with the USS Cucullin, since Mike is such a big Star Wars fan, and send it on. They have um, they have the uh, the the bridge of the USS Cucullin scale built. So people can oh, come nice. sit in the chair and take photos. Yeah, the um, oh, USS Cullen is the the Irish kind of Star Trek uh, fan club.
3: That's oh, cool. they have a bridge.
1: Yeah, build a full bridge, and I I've sat it wow. in my. Uh, yeah, we we've uh, we we've crossed the streams to use <laughs> a a Ghostbuster reference we use a lot. I've sat in the command chair. I've sat at the com in my full Thai pilot regalia.
3: <laughs> <laughs> is uh, um what era of star trek is it built for i put the i put the link to the story in the chat oh perfect uh more kind of Enterprisey, but
1: they will update a lot of it like a lot of the guys now have a lot of the the disco uniforms mm-hmm.
3: oh so awesome. they they
1: do update it as a come yeah, I'll, I'll i'll get i'll get pictures for you um if you want to send
3: one or yeah. we'll get the
1: the guys to give you a shout out since you are yes, such a, an enormous trekkie
3: you can see my my next generation hallway back there on my door
1: fabulous love it mike this has been an absolute pleasure and from the two of us we just want to say thank you so much but just before you sign off um where can everyone keep up with what's going on in the world of mike chen do you direct people to your website do you prefer to use your social media um where can people check in i
3: i i barely update my website and I really have to be better about that. So my website is mikechenbooks.com. I am most active on Twitter, which is mikechenwriter. You have to put writer in there because there's like 5 million Mike Chen's out in the world. Um including one very famous YouTube food guy. Food, right? has, yeah. 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 So like we've gotten each other's fan mail before. <laughs> so Oh um, no um so he's cool though like we've chatted a bit about the (laughs) silliness of it all um so yeah i'm also i'm on instagram uh, at mike chen writer but that's mostly like pictures of my dog or like if i go hiking with my daughter or something so it's it's not as fun but yeah mike (laughs) chen writer is where you can get uh you can ask me about fan fiction or star wars or star trek or doctor who or any other fandom that i like
1: awesome any final closing thoughts, Kay?
0: I think we covered mostly everything. Um, I don't have anything else on my end. So just thank you so much for chatting.
3: I hope everyone enjoys Brotherhood as much as I enjoyed writing it because uh, I, I try to write something that I thought would be like if I had the opportunity to write my own Clone Wars arc, that's, that was my approach to it in terms mm. of like the you know, what I wanted to do <clears throat> with it. So. Um, I hope everyone enjoys it too because if if they don't <laughs> Star Wars fans can be relentless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to disappoint true. anyone.
0: I th- I think it'll be amazing and there's a lot of prequel fans out there who are going to be very happy, I think.
3: I hope so. Writing Anakin and Obi-Wan was was a dream and and Ventress too. It's very important to note oh. that Ventress will be in there. So <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll give you one one really quick story about, yeah, about Ventress course. that I, I can tell. Um, so when I wrote my original pitch, it was like 3,000 words or whatever. And then so my editor gave me feedback on it and he said, like, well, we really, we think this can work. So just flesh it out a little bit more. And then he said, "I we, we do want another antagonist in there. Um, what do you think about using Ventress? And I'm like, <laughs> I, I can do that? What? <laughs> so uh thanks to his suggestion um I got to write Asajj Ventress and she is the best to write because she's just such a jerk to everyone <laughs> in the amazing. best way
0: that's amazing
1: <laughs> it I'm is, very and excited I- I'm really excited as well and I think there's going to be a lot of people tomorrow who are in for a an unex- unexpected surprise of which they will they will know when this episode is released and, and what happens tomorrow so again we can't uh, thank you Mike and <laughs> we'd simply sign off by saying uh, may the force be with you may the,
0: may the force, force be with, with you, you. <laughs>
2: yes. and live long and prosper
1: <laughs> live long and prosper <laughs> Cut the channel,
2: Red, too. all right so that was seriously like such a fun amazing interview to do with Mike so thanks again Mike
1: uh Mike it was such an amazing experience we were just in awe, listening to you speak. I mean, the excitement that came through (laughs) during that interview. I mean, imagine finding that okay, if that hadn't been me, my mind just went went,
2: away. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, looks like things are getting back on track. And hopefully we can get more and more awesome interviews like this and keep lava going on a schedule. And yeah,
1: Oh, no doubt about it. Well, the nice thing is that hopefully we'll be able to release some of our other unreleased episodes um, upcoming. Right, we
2: we got some stuff in the can. Huh? Yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> but um, yeah, if, if those are the kind of interviews you you like to see, you know, get in touch and let us know, leave us a, a message on Anchor mm-hmm. or just touch base with us. Um, we'll hopefully have another few authors coming up somewhere down the line, We we can't say just yet. But, you know, if that's the type of thing you like hearing, Get in touch and, and let us know.
2: Yeah, for sure. Also, social media, follow us on Blabba at Blabba The Hut uh, at gmail.com. All the good stuff.
1: So all in all, a pretty much full capacity Dublin Comic Con back doing Blabba Live with a surprise from the audience from Mike Chen for Star Wars Brotherhood. I mean, it doesn't... It doesn't get That's any better. That's
2: pretty than... awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. I bet you're already looking forward to August. So.
1: I can't wait to see what they have lined up. And hopefully, Kate, we can line up some more surprises for people.
2: Hopefully, there'll be another Blob Alive.
1: I, I know I they probably have... haven't
2: even gotten that far with, like, scheduling panels and things like that, but here's hoping
1: well i'm i'm hoping that uh the the folks that were there seemed to enjoy it and we had a, a lot of people come mm-hmm. up and answer and ask us questions and had a couple of photos taken with us as well so hopefully oh, nice. if ccc have us back we can work our magic and have something a little bit special for the for the panel guests if we're lucky enough to to have blab alive in the summer as well
2: for sure that would be awesome all right anything else to add before we sign off
1: No, I think this has been a pretty action-packed episode full of good content, and I think we should just leave it there.
2: All right. Got any quotes to sign us out on?
1: Be mindful of your thoughts, Anakin. They betray you.